So today I'm talking to the rather wonderful Matthew, who was on series two of yep. DNA Family Secrets and who became rather famous in the Seychelles for a little bit after this oh, your party program. <laughs> <laughs> but when you came to us for DNA Family mm. Secrets, your main question was about your ancestry. So tell us your story. Why did you come to us? So I was fostered from the age of three up until the age of 18. So I was always told that my dad was black and from the Caribbean. I always knew my mum and the white side, but I had very little information on the black side. And all I wanted to know really was, am I from the Caribbean or not? Yeah. That was it. That was the only question I had, if you remember. Because it sounds like you had a really lovely adoption. But from talking to people who've been through similar things to you, you can have a really wonderful adoption. But it doesn't stop that being a question as to what's my identity? Who am I? So was that what it was like for you? I grew up with a white family in 1970s Kent in a little village. And we were the only black mixed kids for miles and miles and miles. So we always stuck out like a sore thumb. And whilst there was a lot of racism, there was also curiosity. We were like circus animals in some respects. I'll give you an example. We'd go to the hairdressers with our foster mum. She'd get a big bouffant haircut and we'd get our Afro haircut in the same hairdressers. So you can imagine the mess that they used to make of our hair because I had no idea how to treat Afro hair, mm. you know. On reflection, it was quite tough. Not having the identity, not knowing where you're from, who you are. And it wasn't until I met you guys and we found those answers that I realised how much I was missing. Was there anything that triggered you coming to the program at all? So sometimes for people, it's like mm. they've had kids or their parents pass away or this kind of yeah. thing. Was there anything that triggered it there for you? There was actually. I was coming up to my 50th birthday and I saw the advert and I thought, why don't you go for it? It's your 50th year. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. So I applied and forgot all about it, to be honest. So you came to the program because you wanted to know about your ancestry on one side, because you know at this yeah. point you're mixed yeah. race. Yeah. And had you gone through the whole thing where people go, where are you from? Yeah. I think what's important here as well is a good question, because a lot of people I grew up with never asked that question. They just saw me as white. On the program, my foster sister, Michelle, who's white, she says that she's never thought about the black side of me because I was just her brother. And as kids, you just accept whatever's presented to you, don't you? Yeah. It's the norm. Yeah. You know? Did it happen when you get older? Was it something where people go, oh, where are you from? And you start to go, oh, actually, I don't know. There was a bit of that, mm. but I always thought I was from Jamaica. So I would yeah. say oh, my dad was half Jamaican. And, mm. you know, that was the end of the story. Apparently it was quite a common thing that children would get told, oh, your parents are from yeah. Jamaica, yeah. without it necessarily being the case. Because obviously when you came to us and you do a DNA sample, mm. it goes up on various databases and you're getting matches with different parts of the world. And yours was this amazing, yeah. it was, colorful, ma it was it? amazing <laughs> match because yeah. we're getting these matches. So we're getting them, you know, in China and the Philippines and, you know, we're getting them on the East coast of Africa and we're getting it yeah. up into France and places like yeah. this. It's like, oh my goodness, what is this? And then when you start to see who you're getting matches with, it was obviously French Creole Seychelles. So how was that to kind of sit down and go, 
okay, I'm apparently from the Caribbean. Are you thinking at this point, this is just going to prove this? Or were you always kind of, I'm open, I don't know whether or not it's Jamaica or not? So I always had a feeling that the limited information I was given wasn't correct. I don't know why, but I always had a feeling. So when you confirmed that feeling, in some weird way, it was a bit of a relief. It gave me validation that that little thought that I had, or that little knowledge I had about the black side of my family for 50 years was right. So that dispersed very quickly. All I could see was France and the Seychelles. Culture and all this beautiful colours and exotic island. So that flooded in very quickly and that stayed with me. So I love the French element and obviously the Seychelles part. So suddenly I've become quite exotic. I remember saying at the time, look, we cannot tell you who your biological father is. Yes. And I remember saying at the time, but you never know because these databases yeah. are growing all of the time. But don't forget, I wasn't looking for him, was I? That's right. Yeah. And when you first came, you were basically like, I'd like to know about my ancestry. Yeah. But it's always in the back of our minds. Like, I wonder mm. if somebody's going to pop up on the database. Yeah. And it's really difficult because there are certain parts of the world where DNA testing is way more popular than other ones. And Seychelles, to my knowledge, is not up there with mm. <laughs> DNA testing. But you never know what's going to pop up. And I remember saying at the time, it may be that in six months, a year, somebody pops up on the database who's related to you yeah. and takes you that step closer to meeting biological father. And I was really happy with that. Yeah. But weirdly enough, in between us doing the results mm. and the program going out, mm. somebody popped up on the database. So this was a young lad who looked like it could be a half-sibling's child. So he was very sweet, put me in touch with his dad, who did a DNA test just to completely confirm. And I said, oh, can you send through a photo? And he sent through this photo. And all of us were like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You could see how you two could be half siblings. But that's what's happened next, isn't it? You now have family, you have a half brother. And mm. it's how do you develop that relationship starting at this point in your life? Yeah. I think one of the good things that we've got going for our brotherhood is that we're both quite open about how we feel. We kind of wear our hearts on our sleeves to a certain extent. So that kind of helps us very quickly get a balance of who we both were. And we're not scared to talk about anything. Nothing's off the table. Because what have we got to lose? It's been 50 years without each other. Really, what have we got to lose? And it didn't stop there. No. <laughs> <laughs> because after the program went out, I had been in contact with somebody because he was clearly related to you. And we hadn't been able to work out quite what the link was. Because obviously, whilst it's all going on, I can't tell people too much about of you. Course, and I have to yeah. be quite careful. But did say, you know, helping somebody with their family tree, you might want to watch the program. And he emailed me pretty much instantly after it went out saying, he looks so much mm. like a relative of mine. This relative had already passed away, yeah. but I said, you know, do you know whether or not there's anyone else alive from the family who we could talk to? And he was very sweet and put us in touch with this man's sister. And she was very kind, said she would do a DNA test. And it must have been an agonizing wait because mm. this person is potentially going to tell you who your biological yeah. father is. So yeah. there's a lot riding on it for you. Yeah. And for Carl as well. There was both of us in this together. So we had each other and we would touch base every couple of weeks about this subject. We didn't want to open the door too much. 
it was a strange one because we knew it was coming down the line. We didn't know when. So we didn't have huge conversations about it. We didn't want to raise our expectations. And it came back that she was your aunt and that gave you your father's name, Reginald Charlotte. So we found out roughly three weeks ago. So I got an email from um, a new aunt and she said, I'm your auntie. My gut feeling was... I need to speak to Turi. <laughs> so I quickly sent you an email, didn't I? I'd you say, did. Turi, can you have a look? And you said, 100%. Yep. Congratulations. Mm, you, you now know who yep. your biological father is. Yeah. Also, finding out we've got a family who live 35 minutes away and they've lived there throughout my whole life and they've lived in the area that I was born in. That is quite a lot to get your head around as well. I always thought, well, maybe my dad met my mum and then he went off somewhere. He was travelling through or he was on holiday here. or And then to realise that they all lived in the same town for yeah. all this time. That's... And you could have passed <laughs> him or your siblings on the yeah. street. And my first job was in the same place as well. I lived in the country, but my first job was in Bromley, which is the area they all kind of live. It's funny because I get people say to me all the time, how was the programme? How was it? And it's like you're talking about it in a past tense. But for me, the program was just the part that opened the door. I'm in the middle of something as opposed to the end. Because you've got quite a big thing coming up tomorrow, haven't you? So tomorrow, my brother Carl's coming up. We're having a little get together. And yeah, we're going to be meeting our new aunties for the first time. So how does that feel? It feels exciting. It feels daunting. Because it's the unknown, isn't it? Yeah. Absolute unknown. But what a great gift. You really are on a journey. But I'm not on it together now. I've got a brother who's on the same journey because he's got the same questions as I've got. Yeah. And we're doing it together. So I'm not on my own anymore, which is great. That sounds really nice. You've got this little brotherhood that you can kind of face this stuff together now. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm alone with it anymore. And Mm. I think it'd be fair to say for Carl to say that he doesn't feel like he's on his own anymore in that respect. I felt a little bit guilty at the start because I thought Carl was going along with his life and suddenly the BBC and me are banging on the door saying, hi, I'm your brother. I don't know how I would feel if someone had come to me like that. I don't know if I would have dealt with it in quite the same way that Carl did. He took it with grace, didn't he? And he was such a gentleman about the whole thing, Mm. you know. So I've been lucky in that respect. And this is a really big thing when doing DNA Family Secrets because we never know what we're going to get. Somebody may not be in the right place in their life to deal with mm. this or they may be completely delighted yeah. because or they... that could be a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> we don't think of that do we i didn't think of that one. <laughs> no but it's, it's a possibility isn't it yeah it's Come... like going into leicester square closing your eyes and just spinning around 10 times and then saying stop and then that person that you're pointing at is your sibling you know, it's that random, isn't it? Yeah. And you've got to go up to them and mm. say, hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Where do we start this? Yeah. Do you like me? That must be scary because you're putting yourself out there again. Yeah. So luckily our new aunties, they've been really embracing. It's been lovely. And we felt like the family are really respecting the situation. And we know that they want to get to know us and meet us. The balance has been really respectful, really warm and really welcoming. So... Again, that in itself is another gift because I can imagine people in this situation don't really know how to behave and how to be because who teaches? There's not a book on that. 
And I suppose it's like what you did with Carl. It's like the slowly developing a relationship, which ordinarily, if this person had been your aunt in your life, Mm. you would have known for the last 50 years. And now you're meeting them for the first time. So it's that slowly building the relationship, isn't it? And working out what you want that relationship to be. Yeah. And I think that starts with getting to know each other, doesn't it? So we need that first initial meeting to start to establish who we are as people and how we move forward. It's really fundamental, this. Like really fundamental Mm. to who you are. Yeah. And I just feel like you just can't get much deeper than that. It's big what we're dealing with when we Mm. do these programs. My feeling was when I did it, why would people care about my story? And what I've discovered is when people see you opening up about something so personal it tends to make them feel that they can open up to you. So I had lots of people, and they're still are coming to me with their story and, you know, saying, oh, they've got their DNA done. And so it goes beyond me very quickly and becomes about them. That was quite an amazing discovery to see that so many people are wanting to know about themselves. And it's really opened some doors for you, hasn't Mm. it? Stuff has really taken off. It has. So in the program, I talk about growing up in care. I talk about becoming a foster parent myself. And being a foster parent is something I've always wanted to do because it feels like I'm kind of giving back. And it also gives me a chance to be a parent, which is something I love. But what I realized very quickly, that being a foster parent, for me, it wasn't quite enough. And I needed to do more to support kids in care, kids who've left care, and the wonderful unsung heroes who look after these children, because we don't talk about these people. And I started doing some work with a charity called the Fostering Network, who are the number one fostering charity in the UK, and they support foster parents and foster children. And then a chance come up to be a trustee, and I thought, you know what, I'd love to be a trustee of that charity. And what that's done for me, it's given me validation that everything I've done up to this 50 years, like being fostered, living with a white family, identifying as gay, becoming a foster parent, working in media, working in business, working in music, it's all come to this point. And now I'll be able to use it in such an exciting way to help support other people. Well, it's bringing your experience of having gone through this process yourself, Mm. what you've learned, I suppose, over the last kind of year or so, going through DNA Family Secrets, but just bringing all of your talents to bear. It sounds like you've been building to this point in some way. Yeah, I didn't know it. Up at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I like doing this, I like doing that, I've got experience in that, I've got experience in that. Where the hell is this all going? It's like, um, what's the old expression? A jack of all trades. I felt a bit like that. So what this has done, it's solidified everything. And it feels like I know where I'm going now. I know who I am in terms of my identity. I know what I want. And I know the direction of travel. And it feels really good. Matthew, it has been such a delight to talk to you again. And I really do feel you're about to go on and do even bigger things. 